0: Learn one plant at a time, learn it well, know it, own it, it's yours forever.
1: It's I call it the woods mojo. If if you work with the woods, the woods will work with you. If you work with edible plants, they work with you. Hey everybody and welcome to the Survival Show podcast. If you are a regular listener, you may notice a little difference today. I have actually come to the woods to be out in the middle of nature because it just felt right to do it that way. I have a special guest. I'll tell you more about her in just a moment. Uh, David had a little hiccup in his schedule. I had a little hiccup in our schedule, so it was going to make it difficult for us to get together. So what I've done is I found somebody to interview and have her on today. And Producer Ben will be taking this content, putting it together, and putting it out to you guys, so we're very appreciative of the team at the Survival Show podcast. It is our job here to take you step-by-step step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and maybe even more importantly, show you how to use the lessons you learn today to thrive in your life tomorrow. How you doing today, guest?
0: I'm, I'm good. You can tell me who I am.
1: <laughs> I thought I would. So here today with me, everybody, is my beautiful bride of how many years?
0: You know, that's been been an issue for us. We've said, we told people two years in a row is our 25th anniversary. So what what is it actually? Did we just do 26?
1: I think it's 26. 26? Okay. But as you can tell, my beautiful wife, Jennifer Cottle, is going to be with us today on the podcast and we'll tell you a little bit more about her background, or she will. Uh, She'll tell you more about her background and specifically why I think she is the perfect guest to have on to discuss this subject. So it's our mission here at the Survival Show Podcast to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you are at the beginning right now. The topic of conversation today between Jennifer and I is going to be a couple of things. Number one, I want to talk about how she got started in being in the outdoors and doing outdoor stuff because she does a considerable amount of outdoor related topics and teaching and learning uh, along with myself for Nature Reliance School. She's also the social media maven for Nature Reliance School. So all the stuff that you see on social media for for, uh, Nature Reliance School, she's got some hand in it. That is for certain. So our topic today, though, is going to be specifically on edible and medicinal plants. If I understood things correctly, Jennifer, you you did all this kind of stuff growing up, didn't you, right?
0: No. When you met me, I was a sad little city girl.
1: So, yeah, that's part of what I wanted to bring out today. For those of you who are brand new to being outdoors and you've seen any of the stuff that Jennifer puts up on social media uh, with our school in particular, this is the first time she's been on the Survival Show podcast Um, She did not grow up doing any of this stuff in the outdoors, any wilderness survival or edible medicinal plants. But she engaged when our kids were little in uh, digging into particularly edible and medicinal plants with a vengeance. And we've been utilizing edible and medicinal plants ever since. And so what we thought we would do is discuss it from that perspective. Hey, this is how you get started and studying and getting into edible medicinal plants so you can make them a daily routine because we do definitely make them a daily routine in our lives not every day but almost every day we're going to be doing something with plants and what better place to be doing that than out in the middle of a nice open field and forested area and that's why the sound is a little bit different today and so you may notice that so if you don't like that then too bad (coughs) Jennifer and I wanted to get outside from the house for a while, so we're out playing in the woods today. So, with that said, starting on edible medicinal plants, let's talk about resources and what what's your thought on resources for studying plants?
0: I like books. I'm a big fan of books. I'm old school, and I don't mean like electronic books on your iPad or your phone. I mean like real ones with pages. I've got some favorites. They're obviously um, probably not for everyone, but my my absolute most favorite book in the world is a. Identif- hey. Let or, me stop you right. Uh-huh. Let me
1: let me stop you real quick because that that's a good point to bring up is that the resources that we're going to share today, and we'll have links for them down below in the description, is resources that work for us. Jennifer and I are here, located in Central Kentucky, and so the books that are working for us work for this region, basically the United States, even extending out through the Appalachian Mountain Chain. So that is going to be something that you need to make sure that you're getting the right resources that fit the region that you're in. But with that said. What's your number one resource?
0: Oh yeah, my number one resource is identifying and harvesting edible and medicinal plants in the wild and not so wild places. It's written by Wildman Steve Brill with Evelyn Dean, who who has some fantastic illustrations. and And that's that's one thing is I like illustrations rather than photographs. I and feel like why the illustrations just they bring out the details of a plant. They show um, more qualities of maybe a hundred plants rather than just one that someone has taken a picture of i, th- I think it's easier to identify when i'm looking at a photo or an a illustration rather than a photograph
1: i agree 100 percent, and that's one of the things that we've talked about is that when you try to capture a photograph for example you're going to capture one singular plant and so if you want to draw an illustration a good illustrator is going to be able to capture that composite is that is that what you're saying
0: that's true And and that brings up another point, is I really feel like it's important to sketch plants when you find them too, because I feel like it kind of ingrains it in your memory, and it helps you just own that. Own that, the way it looks, and and I think it's more identifiable rather than if you just snap a picture with your iPhone as you're going past it.
1: So you have to get art classes too?
0: No, 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 no. Yeah, I'm talking like real simple, the way you see it. The things that stick out for you, if you can just kind of put them in a little sketch, and when you see it, I mean, this is not a sketch for, you know, publication. This is a sketch for you art's a very personal thing and and when you sketch something that's a very personal thing and it's 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 just like kind of taking a note on something but to trigger in your memory what it looks like
1: so it is one of the topics that we've talked about in previous podcast is the ability to not just obtain information but retain it retain it and be able to reuse it And there's a lot of research out there that backs up what Jennifer's saying, which is the more you imprint something in your brain through sketching, for example, then there's other methods to do it, but sketching in particular is a fantastic way to help imprint that into your brain, and then that helps you retain it so you can reuse it or recall it later. So that's very vital to what it is that we're doing. So again, uh, Steve Brill's book, Edible and Medicinal Plants, uh, basically, identifying and harvesting edible and medicinal plants is the resource that we were just talking about. And book two?
0: Book two, Botany in a Day by Thomas J. And apologies ahead of time if I say his last name wrong. It's I believe. L-P-E-L?
1: Yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I've meant for years to write him and say, how do you pronounce his last name? I
0: never know. Because he
1: he puts some great content out on Facebook, too, and I've chatted with him several times. He puts a fantastic book together. Tell us about Botany in a Day, too.
0: Well, this one, actually, you introduced me to this book. It has drawings as well, and there is actually color in a lot of these. So you get that detail. And the, the interesting thing about this book is it groups things together that look alike. And so if you're not really sure, like let's say you find a plant that looks like a dandelion or something. And you think, well, it looks like a dandelion, but that's not a dandelion. If you get this book, then you can look up things according to their characteristics and how they appear. So it's helpful, especially for beginners.
1: So, yeah, on that one page, you might have the dandelions, the chicories and what have you. And then you can literally lay the book down next to a plant and look at them and determine, hey, this is exactly the one that we're looking at, Mm -hmm. right? Is that what you're saying? That is.
0: Now, it's more of a scientific look, whereas the first book, he has stories and recipes and things, but they're both great resources. that
1: brings up another good topic is that one of the reasons that Jennifer and myself like to recommend that first book, Identifying and Harvesting Edible Wild Plants by Steve Brill, is he makes it fun, and so there's a time for you to get into the scientific, uh, in-depth study of edible medicinal plants and horticulture and all the things that go along, even gardening for that matter. But uh, if you want to get started, then let's do what we can to make it enjoyable. And Steve Brill's book has a bunch of funny stories. He teaches... Ed- Identifying and harvesting plants in Central Park in New York, and has been doing it for decades. Uh, he's been world famous for doing that, and so he makes it a lot of fun. He's got a lot of really interesting stories. I follow him and have chatted with him online several oh, times yeah? on Facebook too. And uh, he he posted a thing last week where. He was talking about he's been arrested on a couple right. of times telling yeah, for people eating weeds. for eating weeds and all that kind of good stuff. So it's interesting to pick up these guys that have decades of experience and and read what they have to say. you have another resource that we want to talk about or is that I it? I do.
0: I do. I've got one more that um, you can get regional guides. It's the Peterson Guides. They have all sorts of things. And one of the things they have are edible medicinal plants. And they're very scientific, but they have illustrations, they have photographs, and they have um, descriptions and all, if things are poisonous, all sorts of good things in a Peterson guide. And they're small, and and the the great thing about a Peterson guide is it'll go in a a cargo pocket, a backpack, a purse, a glove compartment, and you can take that on the go. These other two books don't really travel well. They're large. But a Peterson guide, that...
1: But they'll fit in a backpack, right?
0: They would. They would, but not in a pocket.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So one of the things, folks, uh, I've mentioned this some, uh, but I'm in the process of being a certified master naturalist through the University of Kentucky here in my great Commonwealth of Kentucky. And the Peterson guides are our go to reference material for everything, mushrooms, trees, insects venomous snakes, echo regions of the state, and any number of things. So those are fantastic guides. I say that because as a beginner, as somebody that's new, there's so many different resources out there. And and because there's so many resources, it's easy to get bogged down. But if a bunch of Ph.D. students and naturalists from all over the Commonwealth of Kentucky, actually several states are coming together for this class, then they must be good resources. So I'm a big fan of the Peterson guides as well. Now, okay. What's so, a, what, yeah.
0: Well, first off, about those three resources, though, when I found something new, I always check it in all three. I don't use just one because sometimes one reference won't tell you that, for instance, elderberries. Sometimes one reference won't mention, yeah, the berries are, are great, but you've got to cook them to eat them or that the twigs are poisonous. So... On elderberries? Yeah.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah you can't... You so don't I wanna... shouldn't have ate those yesterday? No, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Um, we, we, he didn't eat any elderberries, twigs. But, uh, yeah, you want to check it with three references because with three references, you're you're much more likely to find out everything you need to know about that plant that might be something that's really important. So. A lot of books are real happy and they're like, oh, you can eat this and that, but they don't tell you there's poisonous parts or it has to be boiled first or all sorts of, you know, really important facts. So that's why we say three sources and use all three. Don't just use one. I'm sorry, Craig. I interrupted you. No, no, no. That's good.
1: No, it was. I was playing with the dog anyway. You may hear Cedar in the background. Cedar's our lovable australian shepherd if you follow us on social media you see cedar all the time on instagram and everything that's
0: not our heavy breathing
1: but that is not jennifer and i heavy breathing we're actually trying to get to work here
0: and all that kind of good <laughs> stuff
1: but uh so cedar might pop in every now and then and uh you'll hear her coming up to us so with that said let's assume now that we've got us some resources okay and what do we do from there
0: well now we start to learn and the way i started is i was really interested was really interested in, in learning about these things but I felt really intimidated because I'd never done anything like this I I just didn't even know where to start so I took a class I found the class it was relatively inexpensive there was a very knowledgeable biologist teaching the class so I went to a class and guess what came home completely overwhelmed do you remember that day i came home and i wanted to show you all those things it was and i remember i I was so excited i came home and i want to show you all those things and i got in the yard and i couldn't remember what was what and i was so frustrated so it was a great class and it opened my eyes a lot but i didn't come away from it with what i'd hoped to usable usable knowledge. knowledge and that's what i needed i thought i need usable knowledge so what i did was i got my resources and i I looked up my region of the country, which is central Kentucky, and I'm like, okay, it's late summer. What should I be able to see in central Kentucky in late summer? And I picked out one thing. I picked out something really simple. I think that it was maybe plantain. Mm -hmm. Maybe. And I went and I like, okay. this is what it looks like. This is where it should be growing. And I went out and I looked for it and I found that one plant. And then I walked down the road and I found it and I went to the store and I found it growing in the little cracks of the sidewalk. And pretty soon I can see it riding down the interstate until I got it. I sketched it. I picked it. I tasted it. I used it medicinally and I knew it.
1: So that's the methodology you would say you're yeah. going about. One you don't want to go time. you don't want to go out and pick up try to find 10 things in a trip. You want to find one or two maybe.
0: Right, right. Cuz if you start trying to find 2 or 3 things, you'll start going, well, does this have alternate leaves? Is this got berries or the flowers what color? And things start getting confused. So, I make sure that I I find one thing at a time. I stay with it till I know it for sure, backwards and forwards. And it's even good to go back and look at it in different seasons, to mark where that plant was and look, look at it in the winter. Look at it in early spring when it first comes up. How does it look when it flowers? How, what do the berries look like? How many seeds do the berries have? If it has berries, you know, to go back and, and keep up with this thing year round. And once you go through a whole season with it, you've really got it.
1: So basically on a week, you can maybe have this week where you're looking at your plantains and Mm -hmm. maybe next week you're looking at your dandelions. Right. And you do that through the season. So your regular season, like everybody knows what dandelion flowers look like, but did you pay attention to what the leaves look like? Do you know that it's a basil rosette and the leaves are shaped like this and that and what have you? Is Is that what you're talking about?
0: Definitely, yes.
1: And so taking that to the next step, you do start finding things. Let's talk about harvesting these items and how we go about bringing them back home. What do we do with them? How do we, how do basically, how do we continue to build that knowledge and put it together so it's a, again uh, an incredibly growing, usable skill set?
0: Okay, well, let's say that I am going out today and I am going to harvest something. Today, right here, let's see, I can see plantain, I know there's sheep sorrel, there's blackberries behind us, there's elderberries down the road, there's pine needles, there's all sorts of things right here that I could get within, you know, just walking 100 feet any direction. When I would harvest those things, I would collect them in separate containers. I would put, for instance, all my clover in one bag, all my sheep sorrel in one bag, all my blackberries in one bag, all my elderberries in another.
1: Why? I don't well, understand why.
0: Well, because if when I go home, there are things out here that, that will actually hurt us a lot. There's things in everyone's regions that will hurt you a lot. And you don't want to just put anything in your what mouth. you
1: mean hurt? You mean poisonous, like, toxic poisonous, or something? Poisonous. And
0: yeah. not just kill you, but things that will just give you diarrhea or throw up or nauseous or a terrible headache. And you don't want to accidentally, if you've got five different plants in your harvest bag and you go home and you dump it on the table, your light, your eyes are not going to pick out that little bit of hemlock that you actually got in there. It's just not. But if you have a bag of just sheep sorrel and you have a little sprig of hemlock in there, you're going to see it. You're going to notice it. And so it's a much safer option to to separate your bags.
1: So when you first started, were you marking those bags? Yes. Like what was in there? Too? Oh,
0: I still do. Because even now, if I get into the cabinet and find a big bag of dried jewelweed and it's dried and it was last year's, I I honestly, I don't remember what that was. I also don't remember what year I harvested it. And so I I mark it with not only the name of the plant, but the year and season that I got it. Because otherwise, um, I might get in the cabinet and see four bags of jewelweed and not realize, oh, some of these are from 2015. I need to throw those out. And so mark it with the year and the plant. Because also, like, if you have kids at home, for instance, I know with our son, it was hard to keep food in the refrigerator, and so
1: it's still hard it's still hard to
0: keep food in the refrigerator. When, he's home. when he comes home on the weekends, it's it's terrifying. So you want to mark things because, for instance, right now in the refrigerator, I have a big tub of jewelry ointment in our refrigerator, and. You know, if not marked, he might just slather that on a biscuit needed, and that that wouldn't be good. So, so you need to mark things so that people don't end up eating something that is, um, you know, for medicinal purposes, or right. that you're going to use as a clothing dye, or you know, any number of things. You want to you want to stake the purpose on the container so that it's not mistaken for something else.
1: So, one thing that you just talked about that I think is worthy of discussion is this idea of storage because you mentioned some things that you keep in the cabinet and some things you keep in the fridge and right some things I know from experience that you keep in the windowsill of the mm-hmm. house and let's talk about those things and maybe not individual species but talk about storage in general
0: okay well there's there's lots of ways you, you get a, a plant and it's fresh but obviously that's not going to last but a day or two right When you gather something, you need to be able to obtain, you're either going to eat it or you're going to save it for later. If you're going to eat it, I suggest harvesting things as close to when you plan to eat it as possible. Like, for instance, if I was going to gather some things today for a salad, I would want to use those this evening. I probably wouldn't save them till the weekend um secondly, today
1: being just just so you know folks just today is Wednesday of the week right. so she's not going to harvest something on Wednesday and then plan on utilizing it this week and you'll probably pick it Friday or Saturday right
0: right okay. right i w- i would want to eat it within 24 48 hours cuz most wild things they aren't real hardy they're not like a head of lettuce from the grocery store they're not going to last for 2 weeks in the refrigerator if you pick a bunch of clover or wood sorrel or any number of things
1: Whoa! Sorry about that. We had uh, this is the beauty of being in the outdoors. I had a wasp that come in and wanted to be part of the interview all of a sudden, so we, we I, had to. I had to put it on pause there a minute, but we're back at you. Go ahead.
0: Okay. Yes, Har- eat eat things soon after harvest. However, the the good news is you don't have to run right out and bring it home every single time you want something. There's lots of options to store things so that you get all the nutritional benefit or the medicinal benefit out of something for months or even years to come. So So,
1: let's talk about, okay, let's break this down because I'm a bit confused. Let's talk about some of the things that you feel comfortable putting in a cabinet.
0: Okay. I would feel comfortable putting dried plants in a cabinet. And by drying...
1: Talk about species.
0: Oh, okay. Um, Some of
1: the species that you keep in a cabinet.
0: I would keep jewelry in a cabinet. I would keep dried mullein in a cabinet. I would... Anything dried, I would keep in a cabinet. You know, anything dried is fine as long as all the moisture is out. And there's no mold present. You need to make sure it's truly dry. And the way I like to do that is we've got a picnic table in the backyard and I'll lay something down. You could even get a screen, a white sheet, lay it down, go out and rotate it. You could um, pin things up on a clothesline to dry things like larger plants and let them blow in the wind so that they get good air circulation and are thoroughly dried out. Some people prefer to do that in a dehydrator. I'm just not big on that because I usually come home with more stuff than will fit in our dehydrator. A lot of people will do it in the, in the oven too, on a very low heat and with mm. the door opened and like leave there jerky. all day. Right. Like Just making jerky. Like yeah. making jerky. Right.
1: Okay. Which so, you would
0: probably enjoy more than a dried plant, wouldn't you? Probably would. I like probably eating would. jerky. I don't yeah.
1: like it. Now on to what is it that you keep in the refrigerator? Cause I see all kinds of like, I don't know, weird stuff in the fridge all the time. What is yeah. all that stuff?
0: Those are infusions and saps in the refrigerator. And the reason I keep them there is because they don't have any preservatives in them, or at least not anything that's not natural. And so they're not going to last very long just sitting on the shelf. They would last maybe three, four days a week if they were sitting out. Then they would probably start to mold. So we have to keep them in the refrigerator. An example of something like that would be if I was going to make a poison ivy, wash or salve. If I was going to do an infusion, which is basically making a tea, you boil the water, you set the water aside when it starts to boil, you drop your plant matter in, you let it sit for 15-20 minutes, filter out the plant matter, and then you have what's left behind. You have the oils in the water from the plant. I see. I would put that in a spray bottle to carry backpacking. I keep that in the refrigerator as a wash when we're out weeding or... You know, doing anything, yard work or whatever, that I need to cleanse my hands off. Or if we're about berry picking, then I, I carry a little squi- a little bottle of that before I leave in my purse so that I can spray off my hands and wash them. And that is, that is a very simple way to do things. But it doesn't last very long. Even in the refrigerator, you're talking maybe a month, tops, it's not going to last very long. A salve is going to last much longer. And with a salve, you're going to simmer down that water until it's nearly gone and you just have a a small amount of liquid there with the oils from the original plant you're going to drop in carefully drop in some beeswax and stir it and you can add maybe a capsule of vitamin e into that as a natural preservative to make it last a little bit longer and you can get fancy you can add color to it with um you know some kind of natural coloring from berries or whatever you can add Essential oils, if you want to, like lavender, if you want it to smell nice or whatever, it doesn't matter. But if just the basic, basic ingredients for a decent salve is a, a water plant base, a little bit of beeswax. and or Actually, you know, oil would be better. I say water, but use oil for that because it won't mix well if you don't. So a little bit of um, oil simmered with the plant matter, mm-hmm. throw some beeswax in, and a little bit of vitamin E, and there you go and just pour it in a container and put it in the refrigerator. You can make a lip balm that way as well.
1: Well, I know you also, and maybe this is the same thing, but when you're talking about salves, are you, you're you talking about just stuff that you can put on your hands or put yes. on your, topically on yeah, your skin. It's going to be
0: greasy. It's going to mm-hmm. be greasy, though, and so I don't prefer those. I know a lot of people like them, but I'm not crazy about them because they leave you very greasy because it's it's oils and wax and... Uh, But it it is, especially in the wintertime, though, on your feet or cracked hands or if you are, you know, if you're working outside a lot, the salves are good options. And you can put healing herbs and things in those, too, so that you can put them on cuts and then bandage them up to kind of kill germs and, and keep those areas protected.
1: One word I haven't heard you talk about yet is tinctures. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between tinctures and the stuff that you already talked about? Or is it one and the same? I don't know. The that's difference. what
0: I use more often than not is a tincture. And with a tincture, you're going to take your choice. You can take witch hazel or you can take a bottle of vodka. And
1: so this is the stuff that's sitting in the window.
0: This is the stuff sitting in the window. OK, let's go back to our jewelweed. Right. So we have some dried jewelweed and we want it to last instead of a month or so. We want it to last for the next 25 years. So we're going to put a, as much dry jewelweed as we can in the mason jar, clear mason jar. We're then going to cover it with either vodka or witch hazel. If you're going to be taking this, inter, if it's, a, for instance, with the jewelweed, you're not going to be taking that internally. So I would just use witch hazel. It's cheaper. Fill it all the way up to the brim. Stick the lid on it, sit it in a sunny window, and shake it up a couple times a day. You're almost immediately, within hours, going to start to see it change color. And with that particular plant, it's going to start turning orange. And you're going to see that the plant is releasing its, its oils into the witch hazel. After two weeks or so, you drain it out, keep the liquid, and you've got a shelf, sustainable poison ivy wash that's going to last for years. You don't have to it. refrigerate it. It's a great long-term prepping um, option.
1: So I'm guessing the, like everybody, I, I have some of this that I keep in my truck, and I'm assuming that's what I have in my truck. It is. Okay, okay. Because I keep some of this in my truck to use because I'm out in poison ivy all the time like I was yesterday. Now, so,
0: if you wanted to do this for something you're going to take internally, I would use vodka. Right. And so you do the same process. You use the vodka. Now, if you're going to give this to children or someone that has an adversity to alcohol, no problem. You just simply take a cup of hot water. When you get ready to use it, get you a cup of boiling water, take a teaspoon of that tincture out, pour it in the boiling water, let it sit for about five minutes. The alcohol will dissipate and you have the benefits of the plant without the adverse effects of the alcohol. Oh, really? hmm I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's how you would treat children with those things or anyone that does not want the alcohol in their system because okay. that's, that's true of a lot of people.
1: Sure. Okay. I was not aware of that. Now, moving on, there's uh, also this idea of syrup. hmm Since we were talking about elderberries. Yeah. Uh, tell me about syrup and what, what's involved with that.
0: That's where you actually would use the water rather than the oil. When I got them flipped a minute ago, you would use a concentrated water that you had simmered down with the the herb in it for instance elderberries throw some elderberries in some water let it simmer until it simmers down to a small amount of liquid you filter the berries out and actually you could leave them in but I would filter them out just because I think it would store better and then add you know for maybe two parts water add one part honey and shake it up, put it in the refrigerator, and you've got yourself a homemade cough syrup. Another thing you could add to that is lemon juice. That's what I always made for Zane, our son, when he was little, because he he kept, like, bronchitis and coughed and was sick all the time. And he didn't do well with food coloring. And back then, all those cough syrups had food coloring in them, and you couldn't get the clear stuff that you can now. And so I would make that for him, and I would use all sorts of things from the farm and make him some cough syrup and it it not only made him feel better but he knew mama made it and that helped a little <laughs> bit
1: too all right so last one is a poultice right tell me about a poultice
0: that is just a a mushed up plant with um, mushed up is that my scientific term it's <laughs> a mushed up plant you can take a mushed up plant you can um, use it all by itself, or you could put it underneath a clean cloth and some warm water. And Is that the same it thing
1: that I hear referred to as a spit poultice?
0: Probably, yeah. Is that
1: where they take it out of their mouth, yeah. I think?
0: You can, that's what I usually end up doing because you know, that, that's easier. For instance, if that wasp had stung you, we would obviously grab us a big handful of plantain, chew it up, and slap it on there. And that would help you tremendously real, real fast. So we've done that a lot of times. We did that, what, two weeks ago when we yeah. were opening the farm gate, and I got stung so badly.
1: Put plantain poultice. Plantain, Plantain right. spit poultice. Which we, in
0: our area is just everywhere. And just so you everywhere. have
1: two variations of plantain. You have English plantain. You have, which long is leaf. the long.
0: Yeah. Long leaf. And then you have common.
1: Common plantain, which is which the, the broadleaf. Leaf. And, broad leaf. and uh, just for your edification, for those of you listening, the natives call that white man's footprint because that is not a native plant to our country here and it came over with the ships that came over and so because of that it's now everywhere and they still grow plantain in gardens in europe it's a very interesting plant it's a very bitter plant as i it is edible experience to it but some people n- realize that bitterness is good in your diet right? when you need great that. for the gallbladder really good for the gallbladder so that's one of the things that i don't like eating but i will eat on occasion simply because i know it's good for me
0: it is. It's really good for you. And the seeds actually are full of fiber. So, if you know, if you need fiber in your diet, then the seeds from plantain can be used for that purpose. And you can even dry those and keep them and add them to muffins or cakes or whatever.
1: All right. So what I want to ask you next is basically let's just dig into your top three maybe your top three Ooh, useful to choose. or three favorite or three tastiest or just mm. give me a group of three different species that you would like to chat about
0: okay i'll try to think of three d- really different things
1: okay that sounds good
0: probably my favorite thing because this is what I, I go into a lot of school systems and teach um wild and edible plants and things and survival skills to, to kids in school systems here in kentucky and the first plant that I always teach children because this is there's no poisonous lookalikes, it's very tasty, it's easy to find and it's common in my area, is wood sorrel. And it's so Say again. wood sorrel, sorrel. S-O-R-R-E-L. Okay, that
1: that probably brings up another topic for everybody. And I found this out the hard way on YouTube in that I would present information on YouTube and on our videos and then somebody would say, it's not called that, it's called this. And one of the things that came out of it is that you, you had to learn to set your ego aside because in this particular instance, I'm right and they are right. Because in, they people just have different names. We were talking about this with some of the folks from Nature Reliance School. They have different names for stuff from one county over from us right here in Kentucky. Right. And that happens a lot. So when you're working with others, if you're going to share information online, you can use the common name. But just be aware that the way that you all can get on the same page is talk about the, the scientific name, the Latin name of it, and you can more readily get specific about different species. And so it, that just makes it difficult for people to learn and to bring beginners in. So it's not the funnest way to do it, to study the Latin and, and the scientific side of things. But if you're going to start discussing in depth with lots of people, you probably need to do that. Now, with that said... Uh, our wood sorrel is something that's a pretty common name. Uh, some people here in Kentucky refer to it as sourgrass.
0: Sourgrass. Uh,
1: actually, in Kentucky, they say sourgrass. Sourgrass. Yeah, <laughs> so, sourgrass. So, yeah, we have a good time with that. I know David, if he's listening to this, is going to love. Cringing. He, he's cringing. No, he actually likes Does my he? Kentucky twine. Okay, twang. I figured he
0: was cringing. Y'all, and y'all. I mean, I've got him
1: saying y'all on the podcast and everything. All so. right, okay, cool. But uh, wood sorrel. Wood sorrel. It, and tell, tell me about wood sorrel.
0: Wood sorrel is so easy to identify. Now, here in Kentucky, it typically has yellow flowers, but I have seen it with purple flowers here. There's two different types. There's the yellow type and what they call the red type. So there's two different types of wood sorrel. The thing that makes it so outstanding and easy to identify is that At the end of the little stems, there are three little hearts, and it is the only plant that has three little hearts. It's typically no taller than eight inches, and it tastes fantastic. It's very sour, almost like lemon candy. A lot of people say lemon candy, tart apples. I've even had some some children tell me they think it tastes like pickles. Oh, really? Okay. pickles. So it, it's really tasty. It's fun to eat. Now, it does not store well. And if you try to cook it, it will turn dark brown. So it's best eaten raw. But it's a great survival food because it's full of vitamin C. It's very abundant in our area. And you don't have to do anything to it. You just eat it right as it is. So you can literally lay there with a broken leg, reach out, pull some up, and eat it. And you're good to go. You've got some vitamin C and a little fiber in your system. It's a great plant. And it's it's sometimes mixed up with clover because clover looks almost the same, except clover has three little round things on the end of the stem instead of three little hearts at the end of the stem. But the good news is clover's edible, too. So you're so good either way. So is that your
1: way. number two? Or do you have a number, another? No. Number What's I'm, number two? I'm then?
0: not as crazy about clover's wood soil because it just doesn't taste as good, and it's, it's not as fun to find because the little hearts are just so much fun. My number two would probably be berries. I love berries. So summertime's my favorite. Here in Kentucky, we have blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, black raspberries. We have mulberries, white ones, and red. What can you think of other berries? Elderberry. Elderberry. Oh, yes, that's what we're going to get this week. They are almost ready. They're, They're turning red. They're not quite black yet. So we are waiting just another week, hoping for some rain so we can get those elderberries and I can make some muffins and cough syrup next week. There's also wild strawberries here, but we have the little strawberries with the little seeds on the outside that are white in the middle. They just don't have much taste, but they're still fun to find. I
1: thought those were poisonous. They are not. That's a myth. <laughs> that's what everybody says. Yeah, that's what those everybody says.
0: But you can't eat those. So what do I do? I eat one. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm good.
1: They're not. They're, they're not, not poisonous at all. They're not.
0: They're not poisonous. Anything that looks like a strawberry, you can eat it. There's not something that looks like a strawberry that is, you know, some mystical poisonous say, plant. Let's,
1: let's be real careful about that. When you say looks like a strawberry, what looks like a strawberry? The you
0: thing get? you get at the grocery store that says strawberries on it. That's a, a red cone that shaped has the kind the of thing. Seeds with on the, the seeds outside, on the right? outside with a little red. Little top on, or the little green little top on, the red berry, yeah.
1: Because sometimes I'm afraid that somebody will hear you say that and think, any red berry.
0: No, 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 no. Okay. Strawberry. I'm no, no, I don't eat just anything red out there. It's just you, everyone, I think, so other, I hope knows what a strawberry looks like. I think so. Yeah. I just want to make sure we yeah, brought that so. up.
1: The other day on Facebook, I saw this. This is pretty cool. Tell me what you thought. Of, think about this. I'm in a Facebook group that talks about edible medicinal plants. And one of the ladies that was in that group says her favorite way of testing the edibility of plants is that she picks one. And she eats it, and if it tastes bad, she knows that it's bad for you. Mm-hmm. She spits it out, and if it tastes good, she uh, goes ahead and eats it.
0: Is she still alive? <laughs>
1: I guess she is. Oh
0: wow, that's that's about the worst advice I've ever heard. No, it, it, and you know it's funny because a lot of times I'll be teaching a class, and people want to know the poisonous ones, or they want to go, "Hey, is this poisonous? Is this edible?" And here's the thing: if I don't, you know, let's go back to the beginning. Learn one plan at a time, learn it well, know it, own it. It's yours forever. And if I don't know it and own it, I just walk past it. I might sketch a picture of it. I might take a picture of it. I might look it up, research what it is. But if I don't know what it is, even if I'm starving, I'm not going to risk putting it in my mouth. I don't even really want to touch it. There are things right here in central Kentucky that if I touch them, I'm going to have a rash for weeks. And not just poison ivy or poison oak, but there are things here that are nasty that you just do not want to get in your system or touch or have on you. So no, I wouldn't I, I've heard that and I, I've I've seen the, you know, rub it on your skin and this and that and I just I just avoid anything that I'm not sure what it is. I and understand. that's okay. That really is. That's I'm I'm okay with that.
1: So that's two. Tell mm-hmm. me one more.
0: Probably cattails because they're so versatile. You can use cattails for so many things. They grow in, in big colonies underneath the ground in these rhizomes and those those can be pulled up kind of like potatoes. Now, I wouldn't advise eating them because they're just too fibrous, but you can rake the outer part off, soak those in water, and you're going to get a thick starch that comes off in the water. And then you can dry that out and use it as a powdery starch, or you can use that to thicken soups and add some nutrition to a stew or a soup or something that you might be in a survival situation this is not like a fun food but it it would be great in a survival situation the young shoots and the part down at the bottom if you peel off those external leaves and you get to the inside that are white those taste like a a spicy to me they taste like a spicy cucumber they're crisp and they're very interesting but there is a, a a slight concern with those do you remember no go ahead do you remember the college class that we taught? Oh, oh wow. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Apparently, there's about 30% of the population that gets this weird um,
1: vibration, vibration or... in their <laughs> mouth when
0: they eat cattail shoots. It's almost as if you've eaten. Do you remember Pop Rocks yes. when we were a kid? It's almost now like everybody's
1: a, gonna go eat. Oh
0: no! Kids are gonna be do chewing the, on them. Do
1: this at your own risk. Yeah, okay? do this
0: at your own risk.
1: Because it does mean you, your body has some sort of aversion to it. It might. It's not, probably not going to kill you. Uh, But again, it's something that you want to take in small amounts. Yes,
0: it feels like Pop Rocks are in your mouth, and I'm one of those people. I actually enjoy the taste, and I don't swell up or have any adverse effects, except that I feel like I've got Pop Rocks in my mouth for a good 45 minutes after I eat (laughs) (laughs) a cat tail. It's kind of fun. Now those those little pollen tops in the early spring, you can you can boil those and, and kinda of nibble on them, sort of like corn on the cob. They're obviously not as juicy and, and and you know, good as corn on the cob, but you can eat those. There's just so many things that you can use cattails for building structures, mats that you can lay on. You can use the fluff to fill full of pillows, although some people are also allergic to that, and it'll break out in hives on their face. So be careful. Always test things. Do everything in moderation and test them before you go all out wild. Yeah. like, like That's going to be uh-huh. a fantastic
1: segue. And you didn't know I was going to take it this route, but I think we definitely need just listen to you. One of the things that we didn't uh, – put up, down in our notes that we need to talk about is conservation and stewardship and right. how we harvest these things in such a way that we're taking care of the environment and and uh, taking care of ourselves. Tell, right. tell me what your thoughts are on that.
0: Well, d- don't do anything in, in large amounts. If I come to a plant, and even if it's a common plant in my area, like let's say it's a dandelion. And if you don't know, if you haven't been to Kentucky, Kentucky is covered in dandelions. They're everywhere, and everyone hates them, but I happen to think they're awesome. But if I came to a place and there was only one or two dandelions in that yard, I would not pick those two because there's only one or two dandelions in that yard. Now, if the yard is full of dandelions, then I would take all the dandelions, you know, that I felt were reasonable to take, which would be maybe a fourth to a third of what was there. I wouldn't take more than that. I would never want to take more than half of what was there. Would you feel comfortable with that, Craig?
1: No, that's a good number. I,
0: I I would say a fourth to a third so that you leave... You leave room for those to come back for someone else. You you don't kill it out in that area. You never want to take everything that's there.
1: Hey, if it helps, last year we only had, on this particular property where we gather berries, we only had one elderberry plant right? that was producing. And so what I did was we took enough to harvest, and then I came back to it when it was time for the seeds to drop. And I purposely helped the seeds find the ground that they needed to come back in abundance and now we have boy we
0: have a bunch we now. have
1: a bunch of elderberries yeah,
0: I'm, ex- I'm pretty excited and, about it, that.
1: and it's just patience you all you got to have patience i call it if you help the woods it's i call it the woods mojo if if you work with the woods the woods will work with you if you work with edible plants they work with you and it sounds a little kooky but it's just real good stewardship and conservation in my mind
0: can I, can I share a story about moderation too? Yeah, go ahead, please. So when the kids were little and you were gone, you were, you were gone on a trip teaching something somewhere and I decided that I was going to make dandelion jelly and I was really pumped about it because dandelions are great, right? They detox and they have vitamin D B1 and B2 and B12 and they've got potassium and iron and all sorts of good things in them so I decided I'm going to make dandelion jelly so the children and I go out and we pick dandelions all day long and our hands are stained yellow by the end of the day we just pick the flowers so we have bowls and bowls and bowls of dandelion flowers in the kitchen then I proceed to rinse them and drain them and boil them and my there's just condensation running down the windows because I'm boiling dandelion flowers all day long to make this dandelion jelly and about six or seven hours into this process, I had a horrible pain in my head. It was it was sudden to the point it frightened me because my children were little and I thought, we live 20 minutes out in the middle of nowhere and I don't even think I could drive, let alone get to town with these two small children. And then the nausea hit me and I just... The first thing I could think of was just, just run out the back door. And I did and ran out into a field. And I threw up most of the night to the point I was nearly dehydrated. And what I did was I just about detoxed myself to death with those dandelions. I did. I overdid it. There was there was too much dandelion in my system. And all those, these are natural things. You don't want to overdo it. You want to do things in moderation. Or you, you can get sick the same way you could if you took too many... I don't know, Tylenol or Advil or something. You don't want to overdo things.
1: It is medicine. Some of these things are medicine. They have
0: actual effects on the body. And and another one is when Zane sat up all night drinking sassafras tea. Sassafras tea is yummy. It tastes good. He was up with his friends at a campfire all night when he was a kid, and he drank it, and he came home delusional. He was absolutely delusional and my first thought was he has a fever and I took his temperature and it was really really like wildly low I'd never seen a human being with a temperature that low and we started researching it and found out that well sassafras tea lowers body temperature in large amounts yeah in large amounts and this child probably drank a gallon and a half of sassafras tea that night around the campfire because he thought it was cool and he just learned about it and he was so excited
1: that didn't make me real popular with you (laughs) He was my responsibility that weekend, (laughs) not hers. So I might have gotten a little trouble. Yeah, well,
0: you know, we all learned a lesson there that, you know, you don't drink a gallon and a half of sassafras tea. A couple cups of sassafras tea is really not going to have any wild effect on you. But if you drink a lot, then you're going to have to deal with the, the consequences. So everything in moderation.
1: All right. Which brings us to another segue, which I'm very happy this is becoming very natural these segues, but I keep coming up with other questions. What about family and teaching kids and stuff? How do you handle that?
0: Well, you know, we were, our kids were homeschooled. So education was our responsibility. But even if they're not, even if it's just, you know, something fun you want to do on a weekend, when I was out there learning those one plants at a time, the kids were with me. And they would find them too. Mommy, mommy, look at this. And so they were they were right there with me learning these things and by the time our children were six or seven, they could go out and, and and if I told them to get something, they could go do it. You know, if I said, Go get mommy this for dinner, they would go out and bring it back to me. And it and they were, you know, generally right. It was very, very few times did they ever get the wrong thing because they knew it. They knew it as well as I did. That led to them being excited about finding plants and we would even when we went out for our family camping trip and things we would say okay kids we're going to give all of you all a list and a scavenger hunt i guess if you will and it might have five things on it it might say go find a pine cone go find a a berry go find this plant go find that whatever is in your area you know whatever was in the area that we were at and they would all have a contest and run around like a scavenger hunt and find those items, and it, it was a lot of fun. They also really enjoyed things that were sweet. They enjoyed things like picking berries, so that we or or finding things, going and gathering seeds off foxtail, so we could make muffins with foxtail seeds, things like that. Anything that they could participate in the fixing of, then they were pretty excited about. Or if we were going to make soap, and they could help me find plantain for that. They, they would be really excited so if i included them in the process they were usually pretty pumped about it
1: very good all right so last question Surprise question too. Okay. What's it like being married to the Craig? Oh,
0: <laughs> it is—it's is a fantasy come true for me. It really is. Not only, not only do we get to work together every day, but I get all to, day. I get to edit all, all your videos, and so I get to hear your voice even when you're gone on trips. I get to hear your voice all day long, and usually up until three, four in the morning when I'm up editing your videos. So it's it's quite nice for me. I feel pretty special and lucky.
1: So about. Uh, uh, probably two years ago, I got sick and tired of editing videos. So just Jennifer- It's
0: been longer than that. Has it been longer Yes, than that? it's probably been four or five years. Okay,
1: has it been that long? Yes, really? it has. Well, I don't Trust miss Trust me. It. I do not,
0: I do Trust not me. miss
1: it. Uh, I do not miss editing videos and.
0: And ladies, if you're out there, if you don't get to listen to your husband on <laughs> on hours and hours of video on a regular basis, you should really try it. It's oh, man. it's special. <laughs> yeah, and so husbands we're... too. You know, it, it's it's <laughs> it's fun that your job is to listen to your spouse talk and to take pictures of your spouse.
1: <laughs> all right, everybody. So that is the one and only. Jennifer Cottle, my beautiful bride. I'm very happy to have been able to get outside, spend a few minutes outside in the beautiful outdoors of the Commonwealth of Kentucky talking about edible and medicinal plants we hope you've enjoyed the podcast uh, please as always make sure that you spend us uh, send us any sort of feedback that you want to send us on what you've heard today if you have any questions send them to me at info at org. real soon like at the survivalshow.com website we'll have ways to email us there as well so you can check us out in that regard and keep up with us and always here on anchor you can on the app for anchor you can send us messages directly and that way we'll be getting those and make sure that we hear what you're saying anything else you want to add in take away
0: just it was fun
1: yeah thanks for being here love you very much You too all right so with that said everybody don't forget to subscribe to the podcast now it is free to do so that ensures that you don't miss out on this or any episodes guess what i mean think about it you may have missed the one podcast that jennifer's going to be on (laughs) Because you're not subscribed. (laughs) So for that reason and that reason alone, you need to subscribe to the survivorship podcast. Many thanks to each of you for listening who have already done that. We can't do what we're doing without you people that are supporting and following and helping and sharing and all that kind of good stuff. If you enjoy the podcast, please do that. Share with your friends. uh, Share it with your family. Heck. Share it with your enemies. I don't care. Share it with everybody that you know just so we can help get the word out, and we can't thank you enough for that. Go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. If you look in the description below, you'll find links for the books that Jennifer mentioned earlier and any other things that we might need to uh, get you a link for. They'll be in the description below. For the Survival Podcast, this has been Craig Cottle, co-host. Missing my friend David for our regular weekly in-depth discussion but very glad that i've had the opportunity to get out in the woods and hang out with my wife so as always with the survivorship podcast be positive keep it simple and stay sharp